Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylic paints. They manufacture the Williamsburg line of artist oil paints, core watercolors, and some of the best mediums for your paint you can get. Founded in 1980 by Sam Golden and based out of New Berlin, New York, it's an employee-owned company that is committed to making the best products for you to use in your studio. You can find out more about Golden on their website, goldenpaints.com, or in your local art store. Sound Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum Coffee is a Seattle-based full-service wholesale coffee roaster and retailer with over 25 years of experience. Their deeply personal relationships, collaborations, and services they provide transform how customers experience and enjoy coffee. You can order their coffee, which comes in many different blends, roasts, and you can even get a subscription service where they deliver different blends to your doorstep. You can find all that at fulcrumcoffee.com. Why I Make Art, contemporary artist stories about life and work. The Sound of Vision podcast book is available wherever you get books, through the publisher at Altelier Editions, at Artbook, online, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you can find books. Google says 30 illuminating profiles of working artists sharing the influences and experiences that inspire them to create art in America today. This book explores the practices and life stories of artists across multiple mediums, including painting, photography, sculpture, land art, and more. Check out the book, Why I Make Art, and support the Sound and Vision podcast. Rafi Kalandarian is an artist who studied painting at the University of California in Los Angeles. Subsequently, he did artist residencies at Aldewild Arts Academy in California and at Medium in St. Bart's. Rafi uses oil paint, watercolors, graphite, and colored pencils, sometimes combined with a collage of photocopied material. His portraits show people surrounded by domestic environments, patterns of clothing and furniture build elaborate abstractions. In his work, the artist reflects on leisure and portrays a young society that seems to be always waiting for something. Rafi has had solo shows at the Muckman Gallery in Berlin, Gallery Peter Klickman in Zurich, Brand New Gallery in Milan, Suzanne Vellmetter Gallery in Los Angeles, and the Black Dragon Gallery also in LA. His work is in the collections of the Los Angeles County Museum of Art in LA, the Minneapolis Institute of Art in Minneapolis, and the Santa Barbara Museum of Art in Santa Barbara, California. Rafi and I talk about growing up with loose guidance, early ambitions of animation, disregarding rejection, being a great starter, improvising, and much more. Here's our conversation. Okay. So yeah. Let no, are we we're good, right? We're good. Yeah. Let's I, talk about art and life. All right, let's do it. Instead of Wi-Fi. Yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> it's sometimes when when it takes a little bit to get a setup, it's so nice to actually just BS about, you know, stuff. Yeah, no, that's my favorite thing to do, you know? There you, just, there you uh, go. Just bullshitting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the best, yeah. I love painting and bullshitting. 
setting up Wi-Fi stuff. Not really. Yeah, not not the best. Um, so you're home and not your studio, I take it, or maybe you're in the homey part of your studio. It's a live work loft. Ah, you so, figured it out. That's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, I've been here for like eleven years. Wow. Um, it's a converted brewery. It used to be a Pabst Blue Ribbon Brewery in the '60s. Man, that takes me back. Pabst Blue. Ribbon. Yeah. Yeah. I know. There's all these signs. There's all these signs around here that's like, Pabst Safety says, you know, watch your head, right. and they're like. Just these old '60s vintage sides. That's so it's funny. I don't know if we're of a same generation. I, I don't actually. I forget how old you are, but did you I'm ever see 41. that movie Strange Brew? Forty-one. Okay, you're you're there. Uh, close. Have you ever seen that movie Strange Brew? Yeah, with Rick Moranis. Yeah, didn't that have a uh, lot of Pabst Blue Ribbon involved in it? <laughs> I just I remember one of them says split plea split plea soup in a court setting like he's making a pun I don't know I saw it as a kid I definitely didn't drink beer when I saw it and so I a lot of was I lost did. on us right yeah a lot was lost on me but that, that <laughs> pun really stuck in my head split plea soup and then they made That's each other laugh but everybody was like bummed <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I wasn't even that clever I just liked the part where he peed for like 20 minutes like, I, going? <laughs> yeah it was like that and the naked gun when he was right mic'd up yeah. being like i love <laughs> i love that type of thing i was like couldn't have been the funnier thing when i was a kid all right that's that's that hits the sweet spot of humor um so but you grew up in la yeah la i split time between la and uh orange county okay which so a little know. north and south there well yeah north south and south north north south <laughs> yeah how was it how was uh, growing up in la you're a lifer right I, I was born here and then i uh would go back and forth to san clemente then i came back to the valley then i went to laguna beach and then for high school and then for college i went to ucla so i've been back and forth and then i've been in la since ucla pretty much that's uh, so, I mean, so that's yeah yeah, the whole. I'm life. a hardcore I mean, LA person. Yeah, can you imagine living anywhere else, or is it pretty much that's the place you're going to be? A lot of people are, you know, just as in, you know, it's all hype or what, or not hype, but you know, it's 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 blown up. But you know, like here in New York uh, during COVID, everyone's like, yeah, everyone's leaving New York. It's done, and now there's the whole like, yeah, California doesn't have water. Everyone's leaving. Yeah. And like, where are they going? And they're like, Palm Springs, the desert, or Arizona. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's worse. It's worse. Idiots. No, uh, <laughs> I, when I was younger, I was like, I'm going to live in New York and London and Paris. And I had all these ideas. And then uh, that didn't happen, you know, for all kinds yeah. of financial and just deadline oriented reasons. And then, um, so yeah, now I'm at this point where you're like, oh, I'm just here. I love LA. What am I going to do? Like right, well, it works. I, could, right? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I feel I like just, no matter where yeah, you are, if, if you're there that long, it works. You just get used yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, and you'd have to make all your friends move with you. Like if we all were like, let's go to Montreal, then that'd be cool. But I, I wouldn't want to just start over and be like, I gotta find a new version of my friend Lewis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like I gotta find yeah, the French the Canadian Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> not gonna happen. I don't know. Yeah, and it's hard to get all those people to leave at that point. 
yeah because that could have become hey guys let's go north you know it's it's like that's why you like a place or for me that's like it's like the people become why i like it more than the actual city kind of right so yeah i just feel like i'm i'm entrenched it's too late for me you're you're there i feel like i can get out of new york i mean i didn't grow up here though that's the difference i guess you know yeah right you know if you don't grow up somewhere and you move there for a while you feel like i feel like people have been in new york for a while feel like new yorkers but they're not real new yorkers yeah yeah i was just in new york for the armory show and uh and it was the first trip that i took there where i didn't even have like a i wonder if i would if i could live here. you know usually you just play it out in your head like and this time i was like fuck no i'm not gonna live here come on man it's like it just, this is a visit only. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love it. I love that city, but it's just, I was like so definitely visiting and no part of me was like, yeah, I'm going to live there. Yeah, better off for it. I mean, come on. But every other, like, every other, every other trip, I was like, oh, maybe I could live in New York. It like, <laughs> I really thought about it and was like, oh, it'd be fun. Maybe I'd be a Manhattan guy. I don't know. But yeah. maybe I'd be Brooklyn man or Queens. But this time it was like none of that. No, not even like this time it wasn't Staten Island. Maybe I could be a no, Staten it, Island guy. <laughs> no, it was like zero. There was zero. I just was like, I. it's great here, but I kind of just love L.A. and I love my setup. And at least for now, maybe next time I'll go back to fantasizing about it. But usually I do have like a quantum leap parallel universe style envisioning myself living in New York and being like, what's that version of me like? Right. Stressed? Someone's like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, right? I mean, Cramped. it's pretty. It's pretty, yeah. Cramped. Like, yeah. The, f- the first time I went there, I went to a Jamba Juice, and I was ordering a smoothie, and I went, uh, I'd like, uh, and the person was like, come on, what do you want? What do you want? And I was like, we're at a smoothie store. Like, what? Like, <laughs> my matter. Southern California <laughs> chill dude, it's like, really just pisses people off over there, so. Yeah, um, it's weird. Just, you get into the rhythm of it. I mean, when I showed in LA, there were a couple things that happened with, like, my work and dealings where I was just like, come on, let's get this going. You know, Jesus, take it easy here. I and, know. You know. And then I feel like bad. Cause I realize, like, Oh my God, I'm just like New York and like, I have that, that irritable, irritable, like, you know, I don't want to wait for anything thing ingrained in me. No, my New York friends will get Mexican food at a place that's great, and then it'll take a while for the service, and they'll be like, this place would never survive in New York. Like, it's like, <laughs> really, they're just, like, pissed off, and you're like, dude, it's been, like, 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, it, so, yeah. It's part of, it gets a, it's it gets ingrained into you. You just become a creature of your environment, you know? Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think you I adapt know. or you leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this, this is the first time where I was like, yeah, I'm just not going to come. Well, um, so your parents, were they lifers in California? Um, no. Well, my mom, my mom, yes. But her parents flocked to L.A. from Washington. And uh, they were both. State or D.C.? Washington State. Um, So they came here as crazy dreamers um, because they were jazz musicians. And my grandmother was also in uh some movies and she did acting and singing and so they were you know they came here that's what's cool about la and new york too it's like it brings all these like creative weirdos in by the bucket you know so so yeah they came here and my mom was born here and then my dad moved here when he was 18 from lebanon but his parents are armenian 
and they fled the Armenian genocide to Beirut. So I'm like, uh, I, on my mom's side, I had people from the Mayflower or whatever, and then on my dad's side, it's like immigrant story. Recent, so, yeah. Well, yeah, it's they like meet? the two. They met in San Clemente, California. Um, my dad had a jewelry store there. Um, he loves to like, he makes old, old world Armenian jewelry and he loves to run and swim on the beach. So we always kind of had these jewelry shops that are like located near, near a beach. And then my mom, my grandmother actually scoped him out and saw his jewelry store and was like, went back to my mom and was like, there's this handsome man. He's a jeweler. <laughs> I think his name is Sarkis and uh, you should go check it out. So she went down there and then they immediately went to Mexico for like the weekend. Whoa, so I was nice. like, whoa, my grandmother totally just like uh, scouted it. She did a scouting report. She was like the Tinder. She got a mom. Yeah. Yeah. That's, she swiped right <laughs> for yeah. my mom. Nice. Yeah. And, you know, working as a jeweler, I mean, that's kind of a, you know, the romance is like, you know, right in the front casing. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, a, I'm sure that's like enchanting you know yeah yeah i mean he's he has this old world like he rolls the gold you know when i was a kid we would go to this place where he would buy these coins that were made out of gold i don't know from where but he would melt them down and then make these like ornate crosses and it was like something about the coins were the certain deal that he could buy gold at the right price i don't know but he he's like a super old school Armenian jeweler that was, um, when I was in high school, he's in Laguna Beach, which is like the biggest tourist place ever, you know? So everyone right. around him had like booths with like magnets and I don't know, just like the kitschiest stuff. And then he made this like intense like jewelry. And it was like, yeah. he, he was like this funny guy who just, he really loved to run on the beach and drink carrot juice and meditate and just not work that much but when he did work it was intense and then he was like in a place where it was like this is not your scene you know like like right, tourists right. come to buy a knickknack about the <laughs> beach or like a wave they're not going to buy like some intense 11th century armenian cross you know with you know like it's it's awesome like he kind of was just like living in his own world but he also didn't really care about making that much money so right do you think he felt a little kind of like new environment you know what I mean? Like it invigorated oh, yeah. by the environment. No, when he was a kid, uh, he would learn jewelry, and uh, there was a civil war in Lebanon, so there were like bombs going off, and his teacher would just be like, "Just concentrate on your what you're doing," you know? Like it just. Oh so God. when he came to when he came to America, he was just like, "Oh my God!" Like there's chicks everywhere, and Paradise. I get to go to the beach. Yeah, he was just like. I'm so tired of this uh, this other life, you know, this other yeah. like stress level. So he he definitely is like both my parents are pretty like new agey hippie, like over the top that way, and and so he he's just like like now he lives in Maui and he runs on the beach and he plays bongos and these drum Jeez, circles he, for like he even got it better like. <laughs> It sounds yeah. good at Laguna Beach and like yeah, no, he, then he goes to Maui like leveled up. <laughs> he leveled up, yeah, but he but he also is like more off the grid. Like he doesn't do jewelry anymore. 
like before he was do it, he had this artistic thing that he was doing and then and then now he's just full nature guy living in like a hut like dancing making you know living off the land kind of so it's awesome but it's like he's doing what he wants like he's definitely doing what he wants but it's just like for other friends when they hear about it they're especially in california people are like oh my god parents like that so cool <laughs> i'm like eh, i don't know i would have preferred something like what you had but everybody else you know that's what everybody thinks i guess yeah Grass it sounds better yeah it sounds better when it's some groovy parent that you don't have but then when they are yours you're like dude it was pretty crazy yeah did you have siblings or do you have siblings yeah yeah um i have a younger brother you're younger and um and then an older sister an older brother where we have the same mom but different dad and then my older Got brother it. passed away some years ago but um so yeah there's I'm four sorry. of us total yeah. Well, I, was there creativity? I mean, I imagine that household, you would uh, you'd assume that you'd have some license to, to play or to be inventive. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what's cool. It's like my parents, so my parents split up when I was one, so, and they never got married. So there's like a, aside from the creativity part, there was just like a general sense in my family that my younger brother and I, like everybody was just really like, we just hope they don't become drug dealers, you know? So, like, we were the first two that became, like, we were the first two that, like, went to college in our family. And, you know, we did the, like, he's an accountant and I'm an artist. And it's like, all these people have parents who push them to be lawyers and doctors and stuff. And I had the opposite. It was like, no, there was no pressure. It was just like, we're just happy that you're not, like, killing people or doing anything terrible. It's like, it, that freedom kind of allowed me to find this this path as an artist so i'm really yeah. grateful f- about that just because i don't think i could have stood up to some parent that was like you need to do this i'd be like okay i'll be a lawyer whatever you right. want you know what i mean like i think yeah, i would have yeah, been more sure. like that so so by not having any pressure i got to to figure it out so you basically i'm sure you weren't thinking it as you're growing up but in in retrospect looking back it's almost like you're playing with house money because you could just do what you want to do, basically. You know, I, my parents were always, they were real blue collar, but they always were kind of like, you do your thing, do what's going to make you happy, but work hard, basically. So I felt like I never felt pressure to do a specific thing. It was always like, well, I'll just try this, you know? Yeah, that's great. That's a, that's the solid way to do it, I think. You, you I think sort so of, you're like, you're like, don't half-ass it, but, you know, do what you want. Yeah, like, like follow, follow your heart, but just work really hard at it. Don't, like, yeah. fudge it. Because there's plenty of kids who have, they don't, they don't do anything, you know? I've watched a lot right. of friends who, right. <laughs> you know, it's like they're just, like, they don't kind of have to do anything, and then they don't. And then you're like, well, fucking do something, man. I mean, right. just whatever it is, you got to choose something to put your back into it. But it's weird when, you know, people don't choose anything. Um, they at choose least to, to chill. I, yeah, you know, or just they complain about it, but they're like, you're not actually doing anything. Um, <laughs> so when did you start, uh, I mean, were you a drawer as a kid, or did you? when did you get um, interested yeah, yes. in art stuff? So my older brother, is he was 10 years older than me, and uh, he became a tattoo artist. And so nice. as early as I can remember, I just was like, I thought his drawings were so beautiful. 
he would make these leather jackets with like Motorhead album covers on the back and paint them. Nice. And to this day, yeah. they're like in my head the coolest paintings I've ever seen. So I just really wanted to be able to draw like him. And so when I was two, you know, I can't I can't even remember a time where I wasn't like trying to do it, you know. But he was my right. inspiration initially, and then um, my older sister, she worked in uh, animation but not like uh, in the creative side, like more in like just the office side. So when I was in seventh grade, like she worked for like The Simpsons and like SpongeBob SquarePants and like this animated TV show, Spider-Man. So seventh grade was, I would visit her and I would kind of like, these guys would have a cubicle, all the paper and pens that they needed and they had a salary and healthcare. And I was just like, fuck yeah, that's like exactly (laughs) what I want. Like, just some kind of safety net. I grew up poor, so I was just like, I just want a salary. I want to be able to draw all day. Like, I was just kind of on this path to be an animator from seventh grade. And I I had no idea that there was an art world. Like, whatever I'm doing now, I had no idea that this was possible. Right. So, So seventh grade, pretty much through college, I was like, animation, animation, you know? Yeah. It's so Um, funny because I feel like it's so rare for young people to see an example of Art, being artistic in a very stable sort of, I don't want to say corporate, but, you know, kind of like a business, like a cubicle and like getting paid a salary and, and making yeah. something creative like that. Well, now when I think of it, it's like there was one guy whose job it was to draw all the chairs on The Simpsons, you know? Yeah. Every chair. <laughs> and then there was a guy who did the backgrounds. And it, so it, it, it's like now I would be like, oh my god I want to kill myself this is so boring but when I was in seventh grade the idea that there was even a job where you get to draw at all that was like just beautiful so so that's what I was going for for a long time but but it's also cool that it's like I just am so glad I didn't do you know I didn't do the thing that I wanted in seventh grade like if I I just I'm so glad I feel like I I meant to be doing what I'm doing now yeah well um well let's get into that where that road that fork and road came like when you because you were on the path of this animation like this responsible life in the creative that was my world. version of being a lawyer or a doctor pretty much <laughs> right. that was buttoned <laughs> up right yeah well when when did you go off the rails <laughs> um so i got in so in high school like i took um these figure drawing classes laguna has this college that um you know, my friends, I played basketball and stuff, and I just, I, I kind of drew as like a secret thing, but I loved it, and I would sculpt, and i take ceramics in high school. But basketball, if you played basketball, it was at the same time as art class in high school, and so I just played basketball and just didn't do this thing. Yeah. And then, um, but I took these classes in the, in the college, you know, and because uh, I was trying to become a really good figurative you know, like like get my figurative drawing skills up so I could get into some cool animation school. But when I took these uh, these new drawing classes, like the teachers were like, the, the first time I was like 15, they were like, whoa, who are you? You know, like I kind of was good right away, but I was good in like an art way. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of like, this is one of those in retrospects, types of things because at the time I was like bummed because all the animation the hardcore animation people were like 
the foreshortening isn't so great, you know? Like, I don't know, they, right, right. you weren't like a Xerox machine, so they were bummed. But then the art people were like, the pathos of this figure, you know? Or yeah. they would see this thing in there that I was like, I don't know, dude, I'm just trying to get a job at The Simpsons or whatever, you know? Like, yeah. so, I, so I was frustrated because I wasn't really getting the attention from the people I was trying to get it from, but I was getting it from art people. And then, so I applied to UCLA and my guidance counselor was like, looked at my grades and was like, you have a 0% chance. Like he said, 0% chance. And then I applied anyway, cause I was like, I just have this thing in me that's like, well, fuck it. I'm probably gonna fail. I'll do it anyway. Let's see what that's happens. That's pretty good. I mean, that's, uh, I, did you go back to your guidance counselor? I did. And uh, he looked at me like he saw a ghost, you know, like he couldn't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> he like really he honestly was like i had no idea that this that's was even possible. more insulting he went back and like i got into ucla and he's like you yeah I no it was like that <laughs> i know i'm what pretty sure he's dead now and there's a grave and i gotta go dance on it because uh <laughs> man that guy but it, it only made it feel so much better to get in you know right getting of in was like it was Tasted the best sweet. feeling yeah it was so good so yeah then i God. went to ucla and I was taking animation classes, but, but you have to go in through the art program. So I was like, okay, I'll take art classes, whatever, until I can go. Because at that time, you, you, you couldn't go to the film school right away. You had to wait two years and then apply. So I was going to take animation classes and then go in after two years. But I kept taking all these art classes, and I was like, God damn, these people, they're pretty cool. You know, like it was like interesting. <laughs> right. And, and I was just one of those kids that, if I took photography, I got so psyched about it. If I took sculpture, I got super, if I took new genres, you know? Like, whatever yeah. it was, I just got super into it because it's, it's like there's so many boring math classes or some terrible class, and anything that's creative, it's like, are you kidding me? We get to do this? So, so I loved it, and then I had, all, I had like Charlie Ray as a teacher and Chris Burden and Jim Welling. Wait, I had these like. A, yeah, I had these amazing teachers, Damn. but I didn't know who they were. Like, I was learning who they were when I was 18, being like, whoa, <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. Because going, going into school, I only knew about um, Van Gogh and Michelangelo. Like, that was it. Right, yeah. So, so I had no idea about anything. But then he, I had Yutaka Sone as a sculptor professor, and he was really just like, I made the skateboard that was like a pirate skateboard out of a Dremel. Like, I, 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 or it's out of wood with a Dremel, and... He just was really supportive and Charlie Ray was really supportive. Like everybody that I had was like kind of encouraging me to be an artist. But I was like, no, I have to be an animator, goddammit. You know, like I can't do this. I can't be poor you still. That, I was already you had poor. You a little guy in a suit on your shoulder just kept saying, hey, buddy, you got to stay over here. There couldn't be more signs for you to be an artist. It's like, you know, all I know, these, like, I know. big flags saying like, hey, come over to our side. And you were like trying to dodge that bullet. Well, I mean, at this point, it's easy to find that narrative because it's worked out or so far it has. Right, right. But, yeah. but at the time, I was like totally paralyzed because I was like, I went to UCLA and I, I, I'm going to be an artist? What? Like, it just felt insane. Um, Why, though? Because but, you, it's not like your parents were. It seems like your parents weren't the type of people who would have been like, well, we're disappointed in you. Or how could you just go no, for no, art? it? No, no, it... Well, it's it because of that. It, yeah, it's because of how groovy they were and how, you know, not <laughs> you uh, wanna, lucrative you like their that. careers were. Yeah, I was right. terrified of repeating that. <laughs> so I had this 
I had this standard on myself to be like, you have to do something that makes money because just not having money growing up was like super stressful. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, just it's like I had Laura Owens. I, I basically I studied abroad in England for this year because I was trying to like clear my head. And then this year I went to University of Leeds and I had this oh, nice. professor. Yeah, it was, it was weird. It's like I tried to go to London, but UCLA, they only ha- let you go to either Leeds or Belfast. And so I was like, I don't know what Leeds is, but I guess I'll go there, you know? Like, yeah. And, Leeds uh, is cool, though. It's a good school. No, I mean, it was great. It was, again, it was like a weirdly beautiful, accidentally best thing could happen to me. But they have the school system there where it's like you would go to school, you would go to class one day a week, and it would be for like eight hours. And then you had like art history and studio art. Those are the two classes you took. And then you had a key to a studio that you could go to 24 hours a day and you could make anything you wanted. And I had this professor, Terry Atkinson, who was part of Art and Language. And it's like, I couldn't have found a weirder professor to have this connection. You know what I mean? Like that guy, I don't know, you know, Art and Language is amazing, but it's not like what I'm making now or anything. But he was just kind of like showing us videos of monkeys having brain transplants and being like what is yourself you know like are you still the same person (laughs) if your monkey head gets transplanted to another monkey head so during this year I traveled a lot and I looked at paintings and I went to like El Prado Museum in Madrid and was like oh my god and I I kind of had this Nietzsche type year of like if you could do this one thing whatever you do like that's what you're meant to do with this time and so that, that year I chose painting as the thing that was most exciting. So I just kind of like, I bought all this, you know, all these like paints and materials and just didn't, I just kind of taught myself how to do it. And, uh, yeah. and I loved it, you know, and I would look at paintings and museums. And so when I left that year, I was like, I'm going to go back to UCLA and I'm going to take over the art department. I'm going to become a <laughs> painter, you know, like I really was like, right. I'm going to go do this, man. And then the first painting class I took was just by chance with Laura Owens like it was just it was at this time and I didn't know who she was I'm and dying to like, know what this class was like so it was incredible I mean it changed my life like it's like I came back and then the first day like I was like she, like I don't know she I was late and I just remember her vibe is so funny and then she immediately liked me or we I don't know we kind of hit it off we were on a similar vibe and she showed uh, her work the first day, which is like, she was young. She was probably 32. So so she was showing us her work. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, you could make this? Like, you can make paintings like this? These look fucking fun and cool and interesting. Was it like the beehive painting and like those ones? Yeah. It was, she, yeah. So at the end of this quarter, she was about to have her first mid-career retrospective at MoCA. So it's nice. like she was at this cool point in her life where she was like, I don't know, blowing up. But I had no idea who she was. So what year is I'm this? Taking, Sorry to get this into the weeds. This is 2002. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I left for England on September 11th. And I was in the air when the, oh, wow. the Twin Towers. So it was like a really fucked up year. But it Holy was, you know, just crazy. crazy. But yeah, when I came back, I took a class. And then so... It was just cool because she was so encouraging and she kind of was just, I, you know, you can sense that I have some level of anxiety about technology or I don't know, all kinds of stuff. But at that time, I was pet. I was so terrified of like making the wrong choice. And she was basically like, 
you can do you can be an artist you know you're talented enough you, you can totally do this but uh, you just have to commit to it like there's no one who's gonna guarantee that this will work out for you so and then she showed me David Hockney and Alice Neal and I was just like my brain was just lit on fire I was like what you can make this like everybody <laughs> she was showing me it just gave me permission to do the stuff that I wanted to do you know yeah um, and then in her class uh, I had all these figure drawing skills that, you know, I didn't really show people or I didn't even in art school and painting. I would try to make these other weird mosaic type paintings and uh, these other friends were painting each other in the hallway and I was like, oh, can I get in on that? And I just painted with oil paint on paper. And then the ones that I did, the first two, like the other students were like, oh my God. And then the, you know, Laura was like, Jesus Christ. You know, like everybody was so supportive and I, <laughs> yeah, I had it. no, but I had no idea what was good about them or why it was better than anything else I did. I just was like, is this good? Then I'll do it. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, right. like that's how portraiture became this anchor for me. It was like totally by accident. And just because there was something that happened that I could do subconsciously that like, was showing some level of like pathos or something, you know, like there was a nice yeah. mix of all kinds of things happening. And then you so must that have became, connected, right? Like in some yeah, way totally, to where yeah. people saw it and they were like, oh yeah, that's, that's it. You know? So even I if know, you weren't hyper conscious of it, you unconsciously connected into the process and people responded. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, that was the classic. Like, she kind of like pointed me in the direction of these artists. She was super supportive. And then at the end of the class, I remember going with my friends. We went to her opening at MoCA, which was like incredible. Cause you're just like, our teacher is this person? Like, it's kind of like, right. you realize your teacher is Superman or, you know, Superwoman or whatever. You're like, this is unbelievable. And then after that, we went to go see the Sea and Cake at the Henry Fonda Theater. Whoa. Nice. And I was just like, what a fucking night. You know, like it was like the best. <laughs> Who opened? Uh, Oh God, I don't remember. Man, that would. I wonder if they're really cool now. The sea and hmm. cake? No, I mean whoever opened. I bet. I wonder if they like. <laughs> then no, they it was turned out to tortoise or five style or something. Remember when it went on that? It might have been that era. Yeah, it was 2002. So it was a good might, time. You might be more locked in than me. I just. I was really into the sea and cake, and uh, I just. I interviewed those. Sam. I saw that. I haven't listened to it yet, but I was like, whoa, because he's he's a cool painter. Yeah, he's a really cool painter. Underrated, I think. I mean, I'm not good at knowing what people's rankings are, but Uh, I just... He's 423. I think he's at least (laughs) 300. (laughs) Okay, yeah, you're on it. I I know. It's like sometimes the ranking system will depress me, so I try not to even pay attention. (laughs) No, that's a total joke. I just think he's... Obviously, he's more known for his music because that he's amazing. And I don't think his painting is quite as out there. So, you know, I, I yeah. love his painting, though. It's great. Yeah, no, I was like, this bastard. He's good at this, too? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What the fuck, man? I know. It's not fair. So, well, that, a side note. So, you're, you're a rock star teacher. You're, you're, you bit in. You're, like, really doing the painting thing. And, uh, yeah. And, and the music, you've always been into music? From the um, Motorhead, like... You well, know, yeah, the, record covers to yeah. I mean, was it always around? So the Motorhead thing was like it was more visual, you know. Right. I didn't. I never really became into the music that my brother liked. I mean, I, I you know, I'm not against it. I just 
I never had my motorhead phase, but the but the jackets, the leather jackets looked so cool. Like they were incredible. And then and then yeah, I got, you know, in third grade my sister I I she was like, I'm gonna go to the the music store, do you want me to get you a tape? And I was like, rap. You know, I was like really into rap. Yeah. And she wanted to get me NWA, but I was too young. So she got me um, De La Soul. Three feet high. Uh, yeah. Nice. And so that's like this huge formative tape, you know? And so from third grade, luckily, you know, because there's plenty of stuff that I listened to then. It was probably like that and like the Care Bears or something. Yeah, like it's something like <laughs> like it's like crazy right. what I had, you know? Yeah. But But that tape was in my consciousness in third grade. And then I became really into hip hop. And then in seventh grade, like Nirvana and the Breeders were two of my like secret non-hip-hop things that I liked. Oh, yeah. And then Under at some the, point... Like you had to hide them? Yeah, kind of. Were you the Pixies too? Were you the Pixies? So I had a... In, seven, in, in high school, I worked at Jamba Juice. And there was this... When I was <laughs> you 16... You have a lifelong connection to Jamba. I mean, you know, I was a team lead, you know? It was nice. Like, the work it's like I don't have any real world work experience, so I have to talk about my jobs at Jamba Juice or Taco Bell. Like my friends are like, "Shut the fuck up! You don't know what it's like to work at an office." I'm like, "I know, but Jamba I Juice did have these two jobs." That's a work. That's a work. Um, but yeah, I had this guy who was 21 when I was 16, and he was great. He's a friend of mine, and he showed me the Pixies and Devo and the Velvet Underground. Nice. And, you know, just one of those elder dudes that before the internet, you needed to find someone who showed you the way. So, so yeah. this guy really, uh, like, helped me, just, you know, pointed me in the right direction. And then in college, I was just, like, trying to go to shows. And Those people are so necessary. They were, nowadays, no one would know that because it's all algorithm. I mean, everything's findable. But back then, you needed a chaperone, like an older person. And you get into their, you know, it was always like like this guy I knew, Bubba. His name was Bubba, and he had a station wagon. He was like five years older than all the rest of the skateboarders, which was a little weird in retrospect. But he would just give us rides to all the skate parks, and he listened to the Minutemen. So you and he listened to Minor Threat and stuff. So you would kind of like learn that stuff, you know? Yeah. And then otherwise you wouldn't know. My neighbor had NWA. He gave me straight out of Compton on one side, and the other side was it takes a nation of millions to hold us back, and that changed my life. That one cassette that's, tape. That's so cool. Yeah, and you would listen to it all the time. So you have this like spiritual connection to it that yeah. I feel like, you know, it's kind of hard to have now. Yeah, it's different. Mixtapes were something, you know? Yeah. But um, um, so, yeah, so let's let's go back to the art. So when you graduated UCLA, were you, were you feeling pretty like you were on the path? You knew. Uh, okay, so... I was, I was still, like, I basically made this commitment to being an artist, but I was still terrified, you know, because yeah. I was like, uh, I just was like, I feel like this is a huge mistake. And then, but I had, like, Larry Pittman, he was an amazing teacher. Nice, yeah. And um, I just, I had, Roger Herman was one of my teachers, and he had this gallery, Black Dragon Society, in Chinatown. Oh, yeah. So it's like I was at this time, there were like these amazing undergrads and these amazing grad students and amazing professors like UCLA at that time was like on fire. And um, I mean, you, the, the names that you had, it's like you should be ashamed of yourself for having. I have faculty. stories for days, dude. I got <laughs> I got stories for days. I got so many. There were so many people that you're like, 
uh, I just can't believe that that person was your TA and that person was your TA. So yeah. that's how cool it was. And you're just a dumb idiot. You're like this young idiot who has no idea about any of this. So you're just trying to take it in like a sponge. But I had Larry and Laura and I don't know. I just had these great letters of recommendation. And then I was like trying to go to grad school. Like I was like, I'm not ready, you know, I'm terrified. Right. I don't feel like I, I'm not a person who just feels authoritative about what I'm doing even now. And so I was just like, especially then, I was just like, I'm fucking not ready for this, but I, I love it and I want to get better, you know? <laughs> you were part of uh, You just needed a couple more hours in the oven. Yeah. So I applied to like seven grad schools, Ambitious. like Yale, Yale, Columbia, Hunter, University of whatever Chicago, I don't know, like all the all the ones that you're <laughs> supposed to go hits. to, right, right? Yeah, all the greatest hits that you're like, I don't even know if why it's good. I'm just they told me to go here. That's so pre-internet, that's what we did. I know, was, yeah. It oh, was is like, that where I'm supposed to go? You just Chicago, you ask Maryland? people like right. what? Okay, let me write this down. I don't know what that is, but sure. <laughs> so right. I was applying to all these schools. I had great letters of rec. I had. My work was pretty cool, I thought. You know, even now, if I look at some of the stuff I made as an undergrad, I'm like, damn, I don't know if I could do better than that, like in that scale. I don't know. So I felt pretty good, but then I got into zero schools. <laughs> like I was Jeez. like, like zero. And I was like, what? And it was like a real record scratch. And then- It's a guidance uh, counselor callback. Yeah, I know. He was like laughing, you know, like he's like hovering <laughs> over me like a fucking ghost. That's so, all right. We'll find that gravesite. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. Oh my god, I'm going to Google it. Uh, but yeah, so then he, uh, uh, what was it? So oh, at the like in the time that I'm doing this, applying to grad school, Roger has this. He invites me and six other undergrads to be in this group show at his gallery, Black Dragon Society in Chinatown. So we're in this group show, and it's like salon style undergrad art and he's just trying to show people like here's what kids at UCLA are doing yeah and um the first day the opening like all my work was like it was all portraits you know whatever size it was it was like some were big some were small but everything was like a hundred dollars to five hundred dollars you know right, like it was right. like dirt cheap but they were I had like 20 things and and they sold everything like before the opening and they were trying to be like the people who bought it are like amazing you know yeah. And I'm like, I just don't know what you're telling me. You know, like, I just literally don't know. And I was asking Larry, I remember emailing Larry Pittman being like, do I write these people thank you cards? And, you know, like, I was just like <laughs> totally shitting my pants because I had no idea what to do. And then so it's like the gallery basically is like, we want to give you a solo show. But in my head, I'm like, I'm definitely not ready for this. And then I get into zero grad schools and you're like, well, fuck it, you know, I guess uh, I guess uh, this is what I'm gonna, yeah, I, I, I was trying to do the right thing and I, I couldn't do it. And then I applied for a job at Trader Joe's and I didn't get that and I was like, Damn. it was like this weird mix of like art success but like real life just totally eating shit. Like I have no skills other than painting and drawing. So, um, so yeah. You I see just, what's going on here. Your whole life, God is like giving you signs of like, dude, just paint. I know. Just paint. Yeah, when and there was like, no, one. Can't do it. Gotta. It's like, no, when, really, just paint. <laughs> <laughs> when there were one pair of footsteps, that's when I painted it for you, my uh, boy. Footsteps. Footprints, um, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, I, I, 
I got this job working for my friend who was a grad student, Matt Johnson. And he was, he had this career that took off really early out of grad school and he started showing with Blum and Poe mm-hmm. and Taxer and Spangman in New York. And so he went to high school with Jonas Wood. And so me and Jonas and Matt, you know, worked, you know, me and Jonas worked for Matt and we like helped make his sculptures. So for, th- for three years, I worked part-time for Matt and then I painted in this two-car garage and had, you know, showed with Black Dragon. But I was what like 22. This is like 2004. I basically had to have a job from 2004 to like 2007. And then 2007, 2008, that's when I like made like $15,000 a year. And I was like, I'm doing it on my own, you know? And I like <laughs> I quit my it. job. Yeah, right, I was like, right. I'm fucking rich, man. And, uh, <laughs> and then I like just did painting full time. Which was cool, but then Black Dragon closed, and oh, I just yeah. the, the recession started. I was like, I'm so fucked, you know. Oh, that was yeah, that's tough timing. That era of Black Dragon, you know, Gerald Davis. Have you ever seen? Oh him yeah, that? I worked for him for one month when Matt went on vacation. Undergrad, college roommates. Wow! Holy shit! Small world. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mixed paint for him and stretched canvases. Dude's a genius. The work is so good; it's ridiculous. He's unbelievable. He's underrated. He's like, uh, I think he's 520 or something. He should be at least up to 200 or something. Uh, yeah. Again, <laughs> you know the rankings better right, than right. I do. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's funny. I worked with him. And, and then those days, it's similar to the guy at Jamba Juice who's 21 when I'm 17. It's like Gerald was older than me in the early whatever. And then I thought he was like, oh, this old master painter guy. But he's, we're probably only a few years apart, you know? So. No, he's my age. He's 47. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, that's not that's not anything. So Yeah, it's, back it's, then, though, it felt huge. It's like well, the older you get, the, the, the gap narrows somehow. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, well, he was, I was, we were showing at Black Dragon together, but he was definitely, like, the head honcho. And I, I was, like, stretching his canvases for him, being like, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, Small world. Yeah, no, that is cool. Um, so what'd you do yeah. when the recession hit? Um, well, so Black Dragon was closing and then, but they were closing because the, the owner, Roger and Hubert, this other guy, Chris, and this guy, Parker Jones got in this fight. Like they were kind of fighting over power. So the gallery was like successful, but they just dissolved because of just disagree. It was like irreconcilable right. di- differences. So. I basically, while they were still going, this gallery in Zurich, Peter Kilchman, they saw my work at an art fair and they offered me a show. And then, so I had this show with them, but this is like, again, like, I don't know what, like, I wasn't heavily on the internet, but I used it, you know? So I like, you'd look at the people at Peter Kilchman's website and you'd be like, these all look pretty legit. These artists look pretty good, but... Um, but I hadn't been there or shown with them. And so it was just this weird thing where the gallery was closing and Parker called me and was like, in the same phone call was like, look, Black Dragon's closing, uh, it's a fight, but I'm starting a new gallery and, uh, I'm not going to take you with me. (laughs) So it's like, it's like you get this weird phone call where he's showing everybody else except for you. And you're like. Wait, I'm getting dumped? Like, it was so weird. Wow, and he, just ha- g- he gave you the ring, too. He was straightforward about it. I met that dude when I was, I had a show at Sandroni Ray. Oh, wow, I remember. He, he was he was involved with that place, I believe, or he was at the dinner. 
I think. That's where he's three. Yeah, he started there, and then he got a job at Black Dragon after oh, that. Okay, got it. But he was like twenty five. Like he I was just a remember. Dude. Yeah, I, I was, like, I'm talking about him like he doesn't exist anymore. I don't know anything about him, but he's probably still doing his thing. Yeah, he is. I I don't know. I haven't I haven't seen him in a long time. I'm not sure what he's up to. But yeah, he kind of he was young. It's this thing that's like some people are so confident and they're tall and handsome, like Don Draper. Yeah, you, you know, just get away with Mad style. Right. Yeah. Right, so right. so he would like say shit that like in retro like you know in retrospect you're like God this guy. Because he almost had me not show with Peter Kiltzman because he, like, I don't know. He was just like, this looks like a website that's, like, fake. And there's, like, some rich guy who's in Switzerland whose parents want to, like, give him money, but they need him to see that he's doing something with his life. Like, he came up with this weird thing that, like, none of it was true. And he almost, it like, it was weird if I... If I let him do whatever he was going to do, it could have, like, kind of fucked my life up, you know? Yeah, but, totally. But, like, Peter still was interested. Like, this, like Peter Parker initially did that, and then a year went by, and then Peter was like, so we're still interested in Rafi, you know? Like, uh, right. so, so, yeah, Peter basically was like, we want to give this guy a show. But then Parker was like, we're closing the gallery. You're getting dumped. And then this was this funny thing where he was like, but we want to consign the work through Black Dragon, you know? And I was like, what? Like for the Swiss show that was upcoming. And so it was funny because oh, I caught... Gee, well, I, that is as patently like a money grab as you could possibly imagine. I, well, I know. That's what it was like. It was, it was one of the funniest, like you're young. This guy's saying this thing to you. He's also you young. Even, yeah, yeah. But I, I talked to Laura Owens and she was like, yeah, fuck that shit. Just go to, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's and like, everybody, everyone that I even, I even called Roger, who's like one of the owners. He's like, yeah, fuck that shit. Just go to the other gallery. Like, right. You don't owe us anything. Like, like, I mean, pimp it, behavior. Well, it, that's what I mean. It kind of, it, it's such Stockholm syndrome with certain people. Right. And, right. And they dropped Jonas, you know, because of something like there was like a weird that it's just it's this funny thing that when you think about it later you're like god that was such a this person was just making things up and if you didn't know any better you just believe what they're saying so yeah that that's kind of what happened like i i got dropped but i was ha- scheduled to have a show in switzerland and then i when i had the show i like had no idea about the gallery i didn't really know anything about zurich either so I was still nervous because I was just like the one thing that I knew closed and I was just facing this uncertainty. And then I get to Zurich and I see the gallery and it's like, it's like a hundred times better than what I had. Like I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was like really amazing. And then they were so cool to me and they were just like, you're going to be our brother in America. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like (laughs) they were just immediately like, we want to work with you. And I was like, fuck yeah, this is great. So, so then the recession, the recession hit after that. And then it took, like for two or three years, I don't think I sold any paintings to anyone who wasn't Swiss, you know, because yeah. they have this art collector base that's like these people just love art. They got money. They support. They buy stuff because they like it, not necessarily because it's like this like thing An that's going to go up in value. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there is this love for it. And so and again, I was like making I had this two car garage in this apartment. So I, I just needed to come up with five hundred dollars a month. And so I did that, you know, for like two years. Right. I barely did that. And then 
but I didn't have to have a job, and I just felt like a millionaire because I was like, I get to make art for a living. So yeah, so I was li- li- living this low budget life as an artist, painting out of my garage, but showing in like Surrey. So it well, was cool. That was a gift to get that situation though, because it probably enabled you to, you know, like it was a pretty stormy time, but you had that raft, you know, where you could just ride it out. Yeah. No, I know. I mean. There's so many times when I look back, I'm like, I can't believe how lucky I was that this worked out this way. Even the grad school stuff, like, now I'm like, if I went to Yale, they would have hated me. I'd be, I'd owe $100,000 in debt that might be making work about mirrors and books or something, or I don't know. (laughs) Like, I don't even know what would happen. You know, like, it might have been really terrible for me, but by getting rejected, it was like the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, at least now, and that's how it kind of looks, and... Well, you so just have to, you, you can't look back, you know what I mean? Like, no matter what. I mean, I went to Yale, I got in right after undergraduate school, and it went well, you know what I mean? And yeah, I, right. But, but maybe if I didn't go, I would have figured something else. I feel like in some way, people who are determined, you know, it's not like you're definitely going to make it happen for yourself, but you have a higher percentage. If you're just, and if anything the really great thing about like hearing you talk about your past it's like you really i don't know how you found the fortitude to do it because it's not easy but you were just like no matter how you know how many times you were told no or the road didn't look like you know a gilded path you just kept you know barraging down that path yeah that's what's funny about advice like because it's different for everybody. And so this totally. advice wouldn't be, this advice wouldn't work for other people, but it definitely worked for me. And it was like, I didn't have a plan B and plan A needed to fucking work. Cause I, <laughs> especially when I didn't get the Trader Joe's job, there was this sense of like, I have no skills in society. I can't do anything. Uh, all I can do is this thing, but I love it. So I'm going to just do whatever I can to make it work. And some people are wired where that's going to help them. But right. I have plenty of friends who had plan B's and it helped them navigate all kinds of other stuff. So, so it's like, depends on who you are and how you think. And no one thing is going to help everybody. But for me, not having a plan B was like, really helped me get through because you're just like, there is no other option. I need right. to do this. So right. it's whatever like it takes. Cr- you're climbing a huge mountain or something and you don't have like the parachute. You don't have the easy like escape route. And then it, you get to the top of that mountain just cause like there's no, there's no choice. You have to just keep going, you know, sometimes yeah. it's good to not have that escape hatch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, for me, it, for me, there was clarity in that. And then a healthy fear of being homeless, you know? <laughs> so you're like, <laughs> we need to really Motivator. make this happen because good God, you know, like, you don't, you can't even, you didn't even get it through Cub Scouts, you know, like you can't do any shit in the world. So I don't even think you could make a fire if you needed to. So let's make sure that this works. Yeah. I think it's important though for people to hear that because I mean, anyone today, right. Who Googles you or sees your work somewhere, like let's say in an art fair, they're like, they would have no idea that that was your path. They just see you in an art fair. They see this big, amazing painting and they're like, oh, this guy's probably, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's really, you know. I think all of us who've been doing it for a certain amount of time as well, or not all, but most, have had our ups and downs. You know, we've had our times where like, oh yeah, things are going good, you know, like the people are interested in my work, selling it, whatever, there's people responding. And then there's those quiet times or the testing times, you know, where just, you know, it's it's not easy. Like I used to show at Haunch of Venison 
and I left Mary Boone to to show with Haunch of Venison. Wow. Because Mary was Mary, and that ran its course, you know. So I showed with Haunch Venison within, I don't know, like two or three years or something. They bought got bought by Christie's, and then he just closed. Like, they closed yeah. all the galleries, you know. So I was like, oh, man, there goes that. You know what I mean? All that was, like, gone. So then you were like, okay. It what, feels you know? crazy. Like, it feels yeah, like it's you lost. Like it's the equivalent of losing your job. Yeah, you're exactly. like, it's like getting fired, but. Nobody else could, another artist would know, but you, other, your friends who have other jobs are like, you'll just paint your way out of it. And you're like, no, it's not really, you need the person to. (laughs) Right. Um, And also too, like, as you get older, you worry, you know, it's, it's almost like a relationship. And then like, you've been in a relationship for like 15 years and then all of a sudden like you're single again and you're like, wait a minute, what the, like, I'm not ready for that. Yeah. I'm not ready for dating. They got dating apps now. What is this? Right. I yeah. was I was single in the seventies. <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah. I. I. Well, that's one of the things that I really try to emphasize when I talk to younger artists is just like, I really am like open about like I've had all kinds of scenarios and ups and downs and I've had so much anxiety and just doubt and fear. So it's like, I because there's some artists who act like they've never sweat ever and. I love them for that, but it's like, sometimes you're like, dude, you're stressing people out more because you're kind of acting like, you know, like, it was so easier. It was obvious that you needed to do this, but everybody's like different. But I, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Looks like, perfect, you know? Yeah, yeah come on, come man. on, dude. Or yeah, the dates on, or like all the like, you know, the relationship stuff is like, oh, it's, it's that perfect all the time. Come on. You're like, you're setting up false expectations for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cooler just to be real and be like, look, it's messy and it's hard, but you can do it. Like I could, I, if I figured it out, you know, like I feel like it can give other people a sense that they could do it too. So that's one well, thing I try to be real about. Yeah. I, the paintings, I think transition the paintings feel really real too like you're really responding to the people that you're painting and trying to capture in your way their essence you know you really feel the personality of the people in your paintings i imagine that's what you're going for oh thanks yeah um it yeah i am i it's like i think of portraiture as this way to show love and so i'm i'm not trying to do like a lucian freud style like show the darkness of every person like I, I want people to look good who I'm painting and I want to I want to show love to them because they're they're inspiring to me for some reason or another you know and and my the best feeling in the world is when someone I paint when they see it and they're like they love it they're so happy and then that if that if they feel that way then I'm like oh thank god that's like the only audience that I kind of care about and then everybody yeah. else is like ah who gives a shit what they think like I like it and the person I painted like it so so we're we're happy and you know whatever well so. that's a good place to be too i think you get to a point to where it's like if you're a musician you write a song at a certain point you're like you know what i like this song i like performing it you know what i mean i feel like i connect to it so hopefully people feel that you know yeah yeah i mean that's <laughs> that's the part that's like you do it with a hope but you kind of never know so you just you have to go on faith and you're like oh I, I think so. Yeah, I they're going to be you know, people love it and people hate like it, it, no matter what, you know? But yeah, you don't even know. I, I just feel like you could have a show and everyone's like, great show. And that's just like someone, I don't know. You just, you never really know, you know? Unless it's like 
some weird Yelp review or something. But even that person might be mad about God knows what, and it's not even about you, you know? So Yeah, you never you can never truly get in people's heads, so it's probably best to just live in your own head in the studio and just do the thing that you you push yourself, you know, and like try to yeah. make yourself feel like okay, this is getting to where I want to go, you know, because you're really the only barometer that you can check. Yeah, that's been the the zone lately that's been very fun is like, I really love to experiment in the studio and um, I try not to limit myself over what I can make. Like, portraiture is what I'm known for, but I make all kinds of stuff and I try all kinds of things. And, um, and so now it feels kind of like I have all these different things that I can do, and it's kind of fun. But for a long time, it wasn't that fun. It was more stressful and chaotic. And I was like, yeah. "Why is everyone mad at me? I thought I did a good job." You know, <laughs> <laughs> like if you if you really make a risky painting that's good, but it's different, and people get mad at you, it feels just terrible. You're like, "What?" Yeah. You're like, "Oh, oh you're not okay with it?" It's like hey, you know, taking good. your shirt off at the beach, and people are like, "Whoa, whoa, don't do that!" And you're like, "What? This is, I thought it was okay. I thought we." Were, you know i know but if you take your shit off and you're jacked like that's the part where i was like i just made paintings that i thought were so good right, that i still right, think right. are really good and then people are <laughs> acting like dude put your shirt back on you're like dude i'm i'm super tan i know i'm jacked it's just like uh you know yeah abstract way or so i don't know it's the way you can't see it but i don't know i just had a lot of moments like that and so so now it feels fun because i feel a little bit more i can see what other people see but for a long time, I could only see, I just saw the paintings themselves and was like, why are people mad at me about this? Right. Give me such a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> what about, um, what, what's the studio like? Is there music, uh, podcast, yeah. TV, silence? Well, well, today I was listening to the Kirk Cowper interview because oh, uh, nice. I'm a huge fan of that dude. Yeah. Um, and it was cool. But yeah, I'll mix it up with music or, or um, podcasts. Uh, sometimes, you know, I'll have friends in here and we just talk and yeah, so it just depends when I'm, when I'm finishing a painting, I kind of have to, uh, so when I was in Laura Owens class, she said this thing, she was like, some people are good at starting a painting and some people are good at finishing a painting, but you can't be both. And she was like, you're definitely a guy who has a hard time finishing, you know, cause there was this painting <laughs> that I was working on the whole time. And she's like, yeah. look, this painting's awesome. It's great, but you're like everyone else in this class, they need to work on their stuff more and you can keep doing this, but you need to have other smaller things that you're working on that are just so that you can get better. You'll never get better fast enough if you only have this one epic thing that you're doing slowly forever. So it's a good point. Um, yeah. So that it, it's interesting to watch people who are one or the other, you know, because if you if you're good at finishing, you have the blank canvas problem. Right. Where you're staring at it and you can't start because you're like, fuck. The, you know, you need to make sure you uh, planned it right. And right. I'm kind of like a, I'm a half planner and half spontaneous guy. So, so I plan a lot, but then a lot of the stuff that happens in the, the finished painting, I try to do this thing where it's like, if it's surprising to me, then it's going to be surprising to the viewer, you know? Right. So, right. so there's a lot of moments like that that I'm like, I had no idea this is how it was going to end. But... I'm I'm stoked, but but to get to that finishing zone, I kind of have to be like a different person a little bit than I usually am, because I like to just be more chill and experimental and be like, let's try this, let's try that, 
And at the end, you're like, I need to be the decider. I am the one who knows the end. I know the, the answers. Yeah, and you're just playing crazy music, and you're just like, fuck yeah, this is the answer, you know? But the rest yeah. of the time, you can just be more, like, thoughtful and chill and try things out, so. To bring yeah. it full circle, that's it, clearly from your family. It's a, That's a jazz musician. You start off yeah. with melody, then you get into the improvising, and then you just keep going with it. And you're like, well, when am I going to bring this back to the melody again? You know? Wow, you're crushing it. I never thought about it that way. But that's great. Well, it's the balance, you know, of the, of the, there's, you go in with the plan, you go in with the melody of the song, and then you just, just blow it up, you know, get improvising in it. And then sometimes it, you know, it's hard to bring it back in because you just want to keep going. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, that's, I'm always trying to find that right zone between this, like, using stuff that I didn't know how to do really well and building up surfaces and doing all these techniques and then having something that's just like, what is that? Like, I don't know what that is. Like, I don't want to know myself yet, you know? Like, I, I kind of want it to be out of control. But my uh, but other people, my dealers definitely will be like, uh, dude. Like, it, it, it requires everybody being in the car together and we're all driving off a cliff, Thelma and Louise style. And it's like, some people are happy about that and then others are less happy. And so, it, it, I don't know. I'm okay with it, but other people are definitely like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, right. So as long as you're okay with it, that's honestly that's all that matters. The show, yeah, yeah. My, uh, the show you had at Miles was great. Thanks that so space, much. It looked so good in that space. I thought it was a really nice show. Thanks so much. Yeah, I didn't go because of COVID, and uh, and so the next I'm gonna have a show with them in June, and I'm gonna treat that like my first New York show. You know, there you go. So that's when you come, and you're gonna say, you know what? I could live here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I probably in will. The I be, I'm gonna yeah, move into the like, back. <laughs> I know. I got a little apartment, little studio apartment back here. You guys are gonna smell some paint fumes all the time. Right, right. That'll be great. Right here, some music, some Batela soul. Yeah. Make your work. <laughs> so w- that's a good. Uh, that's a good way to to pull it around. So your show. When is it open? Uh, it's in June. I think June sixth. And you're working on it now? Yeah. Yeah. I work on tons of stuff. Yeah, my studio is basically a chaotic mess, although it's joyfully chaotic. And so it's in the Francis Bacon, you know, just shit on the yeah, floor. Piles of, I got, piles uh, yeah, piles of stuff. And, just everything. Yeah. I got, I, I kind of, I basically understand it myself. Like, I'm like, it makes sense to me, but other people are like, Jesus Christ. And then I have like 40 things going and I, I, I'm just always happiest like when I can work in this way where I'm not worried about what it's for for a while. And mm-hmm. then at some point, you just start to see a pattern or why certain things are talking to each other. And then you're like, you know, I keep making lists and then revising it and then doing it again. So, uh, yeah, by, like I have an idea for the show, but it's probably going to change 400 times before it's actually done. And then, you know, I'm excited because there's just so many opportunities yeah, I'm just, I'm a guy who has, I'm very excited, and so I never have the blank canvas problem, but um, my my thing is that I have to actually, like, chill and be like, no, but let's pick our seven most exciting paintings, you know, right. and really, yeah. like, at some point, I'm going to have to do that for this New York show and just, like, actually whittle it down, especially because Miles has that, like, earlier deadline, you know, so I yeah, can't yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, he likes to be I, ready early. 
He's, yeah, I can't. I can't. You know, I think I stress him out with my uh, Thelma and Louise style of painting. But but it but it does have to be done <laughs> earlier. You know, um, we need to make a T-shirt. I think. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like so, yeah, Thelma it's a, and Louise. It's the car going over the cliff with you holding a paintbrush in the front seat with like a Bob Ross afro smiling going right <laughs> <over> the cliff. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should do a t-shirt for the show. That'd be a good one. I, I mean, I'm down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's definitely like how I feel. Let's pitch it to Miles. I mean, yeah, he'd be down. He'll be down for it. He should be the other person in the car. It's like we're both holding the paintbrush or something or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he might be holding the windshield like, oh my God, it's covered. Yeah. 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 Sounds good, man. Well, I'm excited to see the show, and I'll be excited too because in June that means it's summer vacation, so it's going to be a great time to see the work. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, my birthday is June 1st, nice. so I think it's going to be a nice week. Like I'll just be, I'll have been done. I get to actually see the show in person this time, and uh, yeah, I was just there in New York just to look at because he's got these four spaces, so I was. I was trying to see which one to do it in, and I'm just gonna run it back with the same one. Cause I kind of like nice, yeah. It's like I, I'm a mix of like I like the the familiarity of the space, so that I can go be weird in it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Or so, or I use a lot of the same size canvases, so that way I know their their size, and then it'll I get fit. weird. Yeah, yeah, it'll work. You know, I I have the right mix in my head of like, but yeah, I was stoked. I was in the space looking at it and thinking about it and yeah it's just cool it's like the possibility of it you know it just stays in your head and you get to be like "Ooh, what if this is here and then that's reflecting this thing over there i don't know to be I'm, I'm such like a possibility and then it gets sad because the possibilities start being like no what's reality what can we actually pull up yeah then the editor uh, comes in the room and you're like oh, yeah the, keep writing the editor and the finisher guy, yeah. I got to, like, put those hats on pretty soon. But but for right now, I'm still in possibility land, and it's beautiful. It's a good place to be. Yeah. Listen, man, it was great to talk and meet. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Uh, it, was cool. Cool. it was cool to hear your story. <laughs> thanks. No, I'm, 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 glad, uh, I'm glad to be here. And I definitely love listening to Kurtz because I'm a fan of his, too. And I just had never heard him talk about his work, so... This it's thing fun, is right? really, yeah, it's like I a mean, really beautiful thing to have. So what I'm trying to do is like give people that different kind of voice, you know. Most interviews are from an artist, you know, it's like those five questions, you know. <laughs> Same like, you know, so what's this work about? What is that little red square in the corner for? You know, those kind of things. So hopefully yeah. this, this sheds a little more light on people who I think are pretty interesting people. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. No, thanks for doing it. Um, I'm gonna stop mine. Did yours make it? Yeah. Yeah.